All right. Hello. Welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are the founders of Avocado, an audio publishing platform. Uh, so to set the stage this week, we're working on an acquisition. I've been like pretty deep in this like micro PE world for a while. And so we have one we like and we're you know progressing through it. And I sent over uh, like a template uh, I have from a course on micro acquisitions for an asset pur purchase agreement. And uh, the person, the seller came back with like, Hey, we actually, you know, we sold this business in the past. We bought this business in the past. Here's the, you know, asset purchase agreement. And let's maybe just use this because it's already built and a lot of lawyers have invested a lot of time in this. And it is uh, lengthy. So what was your first, you know, take on that Brent when you saw it? I, it looked normal to me. I mean, it's 43 pages, which, you know, I'm going through, an acquisition in the past, like just an operating agreement and partnership agreement. Like that's, that's generally what, and using sort of large law firms in the past, like uh, I don't know how to categorize them, but I'd say big boy law firms, that seems to be more so what, what, you know, full on lawyering looks like. There's a 10 to 15 pages of just a glossary or, or definition of terms. Of like, here's what we mean when we say this, which is going to take up a lot of boilerplate. And then uh, this, the terms look, look standard. So, I mean, this is the thing where there is this sort of all the English reading of the like legalese seems like it makes sense. But then it's, uh, you know, we obviously have to have our attorneys look at it in order to find anything in between those those things that look normal to us. So it, it, it does sustain, it always reminds me, it's like it sustains its own industry, right? It's like, you need an attorney to to feel warm and fuzzy about even, you know, we're in, in I feel like a good spot with the seller where our terms and the business pieces are all aligned. And usually this is a point in a deal when it's like, oh, we're getting to the uncomfortable stuff and we have to kind of come up with, you know, what the resolution will be if things go sideways. So it's always the the tricky part of a, a conversation of, of getting it to the, the finish line. Yeah, so I... I, this is a little tangent, but it's going to make sense. So I had my first shot for the Novavax clinical trial this week. So I was sitting in a room for like, um, I mean, it's probably like two hours wasted time. So I was reading through this whole doc there. So if you, if you're something that you want to automate clinical trials are like the most manual process. Like it's just shocking that any of them actually come to completion. Um, <laughs> was like my takeaway from this whole thing. It's all paper-based and then the trial participants aren't of a uh, very high quality on average and the people organiz organizing the trial are not very organized. So it was a huge mess, but it gave me plenty of time to read through this whole document. And my takeaway was like in the startup world, there's safes now. So simple agreements for future equity uh, that Y Combinator came up in 2013 and like is the default now for startups in the early stages. And there's no real equivalent for that uh, in acquisitions. So it seems like uh, it should just, I mean, move in that direction. It doesn't have to be so like maybe overly comprehensive for these smaller like micro P deals. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, is it is the safe note there because it's always you're starting sort of greenfield and it's fresh and it's like, hey, here here's a good starting point. Or is it I don't know. I, I guess I haven't done enough of these to know if they're standard from sort of piece to piece, but you know, from an asset purchase agreement or transfer agreement, you're going to take a bunch of things that already exist and give them to another person. They're going to pay for them or, you know, finance them or something. I guess 
how complicated can it be to a certain extent? It's like, hey, there, there's probably, you know, 10 or 12 points that are important. Things like indemnification, like, hey, if you take this and do something bad with it, it's, it's not the seller's fault and or vice versa. You know, everyone's kind of protecting themselves and, um, you know, what happens if, if things backfire and there's confidentiality and there's also, you know, typically a non-compete of some sort. They, they aren't going to go and start their own competitor. But yeah, I mean, I guess form sort of form versions of legal docs. I mean, it's like LegalZoom that that there is an industry for it. And I, I wonder, does LegalZoom have a an APA that we, we could have used? I'm looking uh, right now. Yeah. I haven't seen any good options. So there's all these different steps. So in like a early stage investing, it's just, Hey, you know, I want to invest in your company. Cool. You know, here's a safe for hundred K it's going to convert at this later date at this valuation with this discount. Uh, in acquisitions is like the letter of intent. There's NDAs There's the purchase mm-hmm. agreement, like setting up a new corporation, which basically a holding company, which I had to do this week. There's all that stuff, but, it should be standardized. Like I, I don't really, all those things you mentioned, you know, everyone probably wants in and it'd be awesome if there's just more liquidity in this market and you didn't have to pay lawyers like thousands of dollars for each one. Cause I think <laughs> both sides of the transaction understand like what should be in there and you don't want any funny stuff, which is what safes kind of enable. Yeah. I'm on legal or sorry, rocketlawyer.com. I've got an asset, a eight page asset purchase agreement. And what I'm seeing is it's got all, like I was just saying, it's got all of these different chapters, but they're all very short. So the arbitration clause is very short. The costs and expenses, every little piece does seem to be reflected in what we have. It's just much more succinct, which I guess is good. But yeah, I mean, it would be nice to, to be able to transact like this and not have to sink in, you know, some percentage. And I think we were talking about before the podcast is like legal costs are or all across the board. I mean, and, and I think to a certain extent, you feel like you're, you're doing something stupid if you're not spending a lot of money. I mean, I've worked with uh, people on transactions on the, as a seller that you know, spent twenty thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to do their, just their side of the, the transaction. And it's like, their justification was like, oh, I, I just don't want it to be done wrong. And it's almost like if they don't spend at least a certain amount of money, then it's, it, there's a poor sort of, product being being put forth by the attorneys so it's a weird market yeah i wonder if there's in startups there's y combinator that's the kingmaker uh I don't, there's just not an equivalent in acquisitions so maybe there's no one with enough power to be like hey this is you know the doc that we all use mm. and go forward and use this and we all trust it yeah i mean it's funny i have a weird perspective on on contracts like in I think it's more so because I've done, you know, smaller transactions. It hasn't been like, you know, some huge merger of, of a big company, but of smaller companies that I've either built, sold or, or acquired, it's been, you know, the, the, the legal docs are only as good as the, the paper they're on to a certain extent. It's like, if things are going to go sideways, I don't know. And this is, this is really not legal advice. I want to make sure that's clear, but it's like, you're going to be better off. I guess it's probably true of the fact and the thing that I'm thinking about here is that the the value of the things that are being transacted on are either like, you know, acquisitions of people or talent versus um, hard assets. It's like uh, you're just better off like figuring out a, a way and a framework to 
to be able to negotiate with person. And it always starts with the business. It ends with the business. So like the, the attorneys can get involved, but whenever you go to that nuclear option of like, all right, we're going to trial, we're going to, we're going to sue them for everything they got. It's just a game of who has more money. I, I hate to say that. And so I, in this case where I was saying, it's like, well, the deals I'm doing, nobody really has that much money to like go to war. Uh, but that's kind of how a lot of this stuff works. And so I guess as you escalate this up to, you see like Google and Microsoft and, and Apple in court kind of waging war and, and they all have the sort of artillery to, to make it hurt. But um, I think on the, this micro level, uh, I hate to say it, I think you're really, you're, you're best suited to, you know, treat people well uh, and try to find in resolutions before you have to go to arbitration and things like that. And I think a lot of that is on, on you as who you choose as a deal partner. And I think that's a lot of the, what due diligence is about in negotiating terms, like asking for things, see how they respond. You know, I was just talking to a, a friend of mine who just sold his business that he built for maybe about 10 years, e-commerce business. And they were shopping around to acquirers. And one was a deal partner where, you know, they, they would make, you know, pitch an, a, a call, like a, a line item, say, Hey, this is what we're thinking. Our revenues here. And every time they went back and forth, the, uh, the potential buyer would, would change their terms and would actually go in the other direction. So instead of meeting in the middle, they were, you know, the, the pulling like the art of the deal type thing is, Oh, the deal's getting worse as, as you negotiate with me. So it's just like, I think people give you these indications early on. And I think, you know, if you want to, you can always say, Hey, well, we have a contract and it's enforceable. It's like it is, but it's also like comes along with a huge burden of cost. Like you bet, you better be ready to spend probably more than we're actually buying this company for, you know, it's like, you better be ready to, uh, and, and make a case for damages. And you have to see if you're going to actually get that out of somebody. I mean, I've dealt with this a lot in consulting too, of like, you know, somebody tries to stiff you for an invoice or a bill and it's like $7,000. It's like, getting in touch with the attorney at this point is like not even going to be worth it. It's like $7,000 is a lot of money. You know, it's like uh, the, the legal system in, in the business world, it's like, doesn't really apply to these smaller transactions is sort of my conclusion. Yeah. All these deals are just based on trust. So like at, at any moment, if trust starts to break down, I think the deal is just over. Like it's just not worth it on either side to continue. Um, which Agreed. I think is why you could be like the nice guy and the easy acquire in this industry and get a massive you know, discount because people are just happy to work with you. These transactions could be so messy and illegal costs just quickly eat into whatever money you're going to make in it. And if you're just like easygoing, I think that goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. But what do they say? Nice guys finish last. You got you to gotta be coming in here like stirring some shit up and, and turning businesses <laughs> around. I don't know. I mean, that is my inclination. I, I would tell you the thing that I've learned from doing a handful of deals and seeing how the most successful people I've seen operate is like they are not the Donald Trumps of the world. They're not out to sort of dunk on you and spike the ball in your face. They, they make it seem like and feel like everybody's winning. And therefore you're walking away with a good feeling you're and everyone's walking away, not feeling scorned. And they're not going to like, you're not going to expect to see a lawsuit from them six months from now. And whether that's, you know, everybody doing the right thing and choosing the right deal partners or more so just framing, I don't know, you know, maybe it is just having somebody make you feel good about losing or, you know, patting you on the back and saying next time, I, I don't know, but I do think there is an element to keeping people's like, human emotions and, and like 
they're still human as part of these transactions. I, that is the part that I, I am a big believer in. It's like everyone has to walk away feeling like they got what they wanted and they don't feel like they're getting screwed. And that is a great way to stay out of, you know, getting huge invoices from attorneys. Yeah, this is the whole kind of Warren Buffett or Andrew Wilkinson playbook is just like, hey, we're not like douchey private equity guys. We're that nice, you know, old, old timey guy from Omaha. I'll just do a handshake deal and you're going to give me a good deal because, you know, it's so pleasant to deal with. So I, I do think there's something there and I, there are, they are genuine. I mean, they do this job for like 80 years. So yeah. you build up quite a reputation over time. Well, I think that's good on that end. And then you had this idea for automation sprints uh, that I, I kind of like with formulated. Do you want to talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah. So we, I've done maybe oh half dozen to a dozen design sprints. And so the design sprint was this thing that came out like, I feel like four years ago was popular, popularized by uh, Google Ventures. The folks, I think Jake Knapp wrote a book on it of like, how do we build a product? How do we get everybody on the same page? And it was really oriented from the product side of things of like, hey, the, the way of doing it in the past has been, let's do wireframes and you play this like waterfall game of passing things back and forth over email and it takes months and things never get done. And it's like, if you can just get everybody in a room for one week and it's really three very intensive days, you know, basically eight to five, eight to four, something like that with a lunch break and maybe some email breaks and you get all the stakeholders, which is usually like five people plus yourself in a room and perform some exercises. You can actually end up doing some user testing by the end of that week. And then in five days, uh, you're actually really far along in your product. You have everybody uh, moving in the same direction, you're in agreement, you've teased out all the other crazy ideas and, and ruled them out, the ones that you don't, or you've embraced them. You know, you, you know, somebody had something in the back of their mind that they, you know, wanted to share about what needs to be in our mobile app or what needs to be in our website experience. You got that out of them. And it, it turned in this really successful trend um, from like a consulting perspective, we were using it and, and had a lot of success of just like kicking off projects finding out if we'd be the right fit for somebody. It was a, a pretty affordable way to get to know the clients as well. Like if you're going to go in and step in as a developer on somebody's, you know, web application, you're going to spend a week with them in a room and know if they're genuinely trying to build something and, and they'll get a sense for you as well. And it usually was a great like foundation to build for, you know, the next 12 weeks or six weeks of development, whatever it was. Um, so now kind of stepping in this automation frame, we're looking at this challenge where we have companies that, you know, have repeatable process that have, you know, a bunch of automation opportunities. They don't really know how to capitalize them. Just like they know they wanted to get a web app or a mobile app or you know, be able to transact something online, but they didn't really know how to do it and what those steps were. And so we've came up, basically come up with a, a very similar concept where it's you know, pitching really only two people to come in, a software architect and a business analyst and come in and, you know, trap people, essentially get them to spend, you know, a, a dedicated slotted amount of time, which was the key to the design sprint. So there were activities as part of the design sprint where, you know, we're trying to sort of transpose those to automation, but the more so key was time box activities. Like you would know, from eight to five, you've got to, like, as you sign the agreement to work with us, you've got to spend this time with us and you have to make sure the resources you have on your team know that. And so that's really like the, the hidden value of like, hey, we're actually going to spend one week on process and 
sure, we're going to automate it. And that's sort of a byproduct, but that's the byproduct of either reworking processes or improving processes. I love this idea of like a very intense, it's a little bit of hardship on their end. Like, look, this is serious. We need your time. This is going to be very you know, intense few days and it forces them to kind of invest in it as well. And they, you know, feel that hardship. And then you get to prove your value with like a pretty small investment and kind of build a pretty deep connection, I imagine, with the other party. And I think they'd be happy to see like all the potential from there and, you know, grow into a much larger uh, deal as it goes on. Yeah, I think the thing that that's hard to see with the automation business is like, you know, it, it, you're usually being engaged by a manager or like a C-suite person who's like, yeah, we, we've, got a, we've got a lot of people doing things that we don't really think are high value and we want to elevate our team. We want to have them working on human problems. And, you know, we, we're just getting overloaded with accounting tests or, you know, whatever it is, we're chasing paper. We're chasing, and what a lot of companies we're finding are doing, they, they did the digital transformation maybe eight years ago and all they really transformed into is like, digital versions of their paper equivalents. There's still slips and forms and all this junk that they have to sort of shuttle between the organization. And they didn't really transform in the sense that like, hey, we can actually glean some of those slips and forms and activities into a database or into like a real sort of format. It's not just a digital version of paper, which sure, that's easier. You don't have a mail cart, but instead you have an email box that's you know full every single day and you're just kind of chipping away at these processes. So you know, I think it's, it's really about process. That's been my, I think, recent, fairly recent. Um, I mean, we've had people on the uh, formulation, formulated automation podcast around like it, this is really not an automation game. It's a process game. And, and I'm coming around to that and realizing in our practice and our consulting work, that's, that's where the magic happens. And so, you know, spending that time and getting to know the process and there's no better way to do it. If you do it in the old way, going back to how we would build product is like the UX designer would do some interviewing and then spend a week on wireframes and then spend and things would slowly start to drift away from the original intent as they're sort of working on their own. And so I think that's the, the thing where it's like a business analyst can interview somebody, then wait a week, put together a document, deliver it. And it's like playing telephone. You start to add or change details and it's, it drifts more and more from the original like actual process. And so by the time you deliver a, a bot, let's say you went through that process for a month, it, it doesn't quite do what you wanted. So that one week, hey, let's sit down day to day to day for really it's, I shouldn't say a week, it's like three days of intensive sort of back and forth collaborative work. That seems to be the best way to sort of build that everyone is thinking the same way. And then as you said, you can unleash that one department and they can kind of share that story and understand, Hey, this is this thing called automation. We've embraced it in this way. And other people in the organization kind of realize there are ways to go about doing that. So the thing we try to leave people with though, is, is that, you know, some, some form of capability is building of like, here's how to think about things that can be automated. Here's what can be done. Here's what can't be done. You don't have to necessarily build this out yourself, but this is the way to think about it. Yeah, I love this. So from the outside, it's hard to know what to pitch. Like there's so many possible use cases, but you don't really know what's going to resonate with whatever the problems are within the company that they're dealing with. So this is such a good way to get your foot in the door. I think it's a really clever like wedge into a company. And then you just land and expand from there. 
Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how it works out. I mean, I, I would say the, the design sprint solved the big problem uh, on the product business on sort of like whether it's web or mobile or whatever, we were building some software piece. It just solved this, like, how do we get started problem? And how do we get everybody on the same page? And like the, the normal tasks that we were doing before just weren't working. So yeah, I, I'm optimistic around it. I think there is something to it. I think there's some, there is definitely something to intensive, like almost like a team building exercise where you'll know if you're a fit and you know if it's a, a good way to go. And in either way, whether it's not a fit, you walk away with something of value. Yes, I like this. Well, cool. We'll, we'll keep you uh, updated on how this progresses, all the listeners. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to cover? All set? No, I'm just freezing. It's cold here. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's supposed to get colder. It's been weird here. Uh, so it's been like 10 degrees all week, but it's snowing right now. It snowed like every day, which I didn't think was really possible with this cold. But all right. Well, till next week, I'll talk to you guys later. Take care.